Hello, thank you for listening to this very first episode of Parallel Quest. If you want to know more about what this podcast is about or what Steel Lake Studio is about, head over to steellakestudio.com where you can find out more information. We hope you enjoy this podcast and we look forward to getting to know you and you getting to know us better through this journey. where two friends talk about the stories we love and how they've impacted our lives. I'm one of your hosts, Cody Haggard, and alongside, or maybe better said, across the internet from me, is my great friend and co-host, Zach Butler. Hello, world. So, Zach, for people who are listening to this who have no idea who Zach Butler is or Cody Haggard is, I feel like we should probably introduce to them who we are what this podcast is going to be about and talk about some things that have influenced us to do this. So before we go any further, let me just ask you, who is Zach Butler? I know you very well, but just assume anyone listening to this knows nothing about you and share who Zach Butler is quite simply. Right. Um, So I am Zach Butler. I am currently a a manager at a Chick-fil-A. I help manage drive through and kind of train the kids and help with hiring and a lot of operational things there. But when I'm not spending my time there, I like writing. Um, I've written a handful of short stories, completed a few novels that kind of hide on my computer. Um, not, probably will never see the light of day, but uh, I, I dabble in that and I'm trying to get a little more serious recently with writing. Um, other than that, I, I'm happily married to my beautiful wife, and um, we have a dog named after LeBron James. Um, and what else do I do? I, I'm very into um, activities, like outdoor activities. So I took up mountain biking recently. I snowboard. I work out. Um, so... That is, in a nutshell, just some of the things that I'm I'm currently doing at the end of 2019. Awesome. And why, just, just briefly, why do you want to start a podcast talking about these very important stories in our life? Why do you want to do this? So I, I think like with most writers um, or want to be writers or people that just enjoy the craft of writing are kind of natural storytellers or story enthusiasts at heart. Um, I know that from a very early age, I was just kind of captured by stories. And um, as I've gotten older and I've gotten the chance to study them both in college and just in my own time and also just trying to write stories, um, I've just seen the impact that they can have. And there are timeless stories that everybody um, can relate to. Um, I think a lot of people think in narratives, which are stories. Um, A lot of people... Um, when they interact with friends and um, just, I mean, if you think about just your, your interactions at work, even a lot of what you're doing is storytelling. Like, Hey, this is what happened this weekend. This is what I'm doing with my friends tomorrow. Um, Yeah. You're just, lives are stories. 
and it's it's so hard to get away from them and i think that's a good thing because they that at the essence like the human existence is a story and it's just it's it's in our fiber and i think that analyzing stories and seeing creative ways that stories come out in movies and books and comic books um it just i think everyone can relate and so the reason why we want to start the podcast i think is just to talk about why stories have impacted us and have impacted other people um and why stories that are you sit back after a good movie or a book and you're like man that was awesome but you didn't know why um hopefully we're here to kind of lend some some knowledge and some insight as to like well this is why those stories are are kind of timeless yeah Absolutely. And I think a big thing for for us too is is wanting to have these discussions about um, the the things we love. And, and we've grown up in an area where our our interaction with stories is so varied, right? We've grown up into uh, we've been blessed to have the opportunity to have visual like movies and TV series. We right. have books, we have short stories, which are the timeless ways. And we've got even, you know, things like interactive storytelling on computers and, and visual novels and, and video games, which all tell stories. And so I think we have so much going on and we can talk about not only the great stories that are told, but how is the, the medium of storytelling used in order to make that story more impactful? Do they fully embrace that? There are things you can do on a, on a TV screen that you can't necessarily do in a book and, and things you can do in a book that you can't necessarily do in um, like a video game, you know, and, and kind of talking about those various different things is, is what excites me as well. Um, Cause it's a really cool time to, to be able to talk about these things and, I think there's a lot of good stories out there. Um, so yeah, for, for anybody who's curious uh, about about me, I'll go ahead and introduce myself real quick. My name is Cody, and I am very, very um, busy these days. And and so to be starting another podcast is is kind of intimidating, but I'm really looking <laughs> forward to this because for me, this is, this is a passion project. This is a love. Uh, Zach and I doing something together is something we've talked about for, for years. And so right. this is super duper exciting. Uh, but uh, I, I live in, in Northeast Ohio in a place called Strongsville. I work at a place uh, where we make thermal couples, which are uh, not, not very interesting, but they're highly necessary. Um, <clears throat> in in heating furnaces and and we supply a lot of things to the aerospace industry um but i i also have experience for for six years i was working in in ministry doing things with with youth and children and preaching and i love to i love to preach i love to speak i'm a family man i'm married to my wife hosanna we have three children we have two boys and one girl and uh, we're a happy family. And I'm really looking forward to beginning doing this and talking about the stories we love because uh, I kind of come from the angle of, of public speaking or, or even preaching how we can use stories from, from our life, from, from media, to use those as connecting points and to be able to discuss things about ourselves that we can can make better or or look at ourselves and see our flaws or our strengths how we observe certain characters in stories or or um 
yeah, yeah, in stories, but but kind of looking at it from a way where it's it's not really passing judgment, right? Because typically it's in fiction, and and you can say like, oh yeah, this this person's totally evil. Let's look at why Saruman from Lord of the Rings is a totally evil bad guy, and maybe in in a lot of ways more deplorable than even Sauron, right? Because Saruman used to be a, a good guy and now he's bad. Right. And so you can kind of look at those things and analyze those things and talk about it from an angle of, okay, what does that mean for us in our everyday lives? And I think, you know, books, movies, TV series, short stories, all do these in very powerful ways and can be useful for more than just your entertainment, useful for more than just passing two hours on a Friday evening or passing your leisurely time over the course of a week in the summer as you as you go through a book. And and that's what I'm looking forward to talking about and mm. and really sharing why the various different stories I love have impacted me. Because I'd be lying if I didn't say that there weren't certain books I read or games I played or movies I watched that didn't make me want to get out and go do something. Uh, right. which which is what I think is is really cool here. Um so, I like that you brought up yeah. um your public speaking and your 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 preaching because um just off the top of my head what I was thinking about when you're saying that was um I know a lot of people read uh the the famous and also at times infamous work uh the Odyssey and yeah. we all read that in high school or at least the segments of it the the one the segment that comes to mind that probably everyone has read is with the cyclops um but that that was originally told like through word of mouth and i i know that teachers sometimes mention that or i i mean it's been a long time since i've been in in high school but um it's just it's it's, it's the oldest form of telling a story and i just think it's it's cool that like you, you, you kind of carry that on um, with your preaching. And even when we're just telling stories to one, one another around like a table, um, I mean, we're mm -hmm. kind of replicating that sort of, um, that sort of medium. Yeah. Yeah. The art of oral storytelling is something that I think is, it, it kind of phased out, but we're living in a time in, and this is something that, you know, we've even talked about experimenting with. We're living in a time because of massive distribution over things like podcasts and, and the ease of putting things on the internet yeah. that could have a resurgence and a Absolutely. rise. Yeah. Because, because hearing the author's voice or the storyteller's voice is, it, it adds a different impact to it. It adds a different layer to it mm -hmm. than when you're just reading the words on a page. Yeah. Yeah. And it's same with like audiobooks now, um, are yeah. massive form of, of media intake. And, um, I know it's just them reading a book, but it's, it's still that auditory, um, the auditory experience. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we, we are, are going to talk about it at this point, I think to kind of give you guys the, the picture of, of where we want to go, what we want to do with this. The first thing we wanted to do in our very first episode was kind of go through and do a little bit of a chat over the very, uh, some of the more influential stories in our life. And we'll kind of go back and forth, kind of sharing one and then discussing through it a little bit uh, to kind of give you guys a little bit of a feel, a little bit of an introduction to some of the conversations that we're going to be having 
over these series of episodes. And as we build a community here, we would love to hear back from you guys. What are some things that you would want us to talk about? You know, give us your input on things that we say. You could tell us how right we are, or you can tell us how wrong we are, or or whatever you would like to share with us. I'd love to. He- we'd love to hear that from you, and and we'll be working on setting up things and, and ways to to communicate with us. We haven't worked out all the details on that yet, but by the time this podcast goes live, I'm sure we'll have stuff up. Just a quick message from future Cody here. We actually do have our website up. Head over to steellakestudio.com. And you can find out how you can get in contact with us, a contact form, how you can contribute to the community. Let us know what you think of the podcast. Let us know of any topics you'd like us to talk about, and we'd love to hear from you. So if you want to do that right now, go ahead. And at this point, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast on iTunes or Google Play or Spotify, wherever you're listening to this, now would be a good time to do it. Well, no more of this. Let's get back to the episode. We're recording this just so everyone knows here. We're recording this like way in the future of releasing it. Yes. Uh, we're trying to get ahead of schedule here. Hello uh, so, if it so, so if it sounds like it's a, a rough draft or a first go, that's because it is. <laughs> and so we're going to jump into talking about our favorite stories here. And Zach, I'm going to go ahead and have you go first since I've been talking for a really long time. No, you're good. And so. Yeah. So share with us one of your favorite stories, whichever one you want to do first on your list here. So the one that got me into stories and appreciating and loving written and auditory, because actually this first one that I'm going to talk about, I heard, and I'm going way, way back here. I heard this on a cassette tape first. It was from the library. My mom had gotten it for me. I don't even know why. I didn't even really listen to cassette tapes at this age. I was probably like 11. Um, I wasn't really into stories all that much, but she got this for me, maybe because I was wreaking havoc at the the house and she just needed to calm me <laughs> down. And she's like, fine, just listen to this. And so this was this is The Phantom Tollbooth. And it's not an extremely well-known book. Um but it's by Norton Juster and it is so clever. Um, I didn't, I mean, the older I got and the more I read this book, cause I fell in love with it at first because it's essentially just about a boy who goes to a foreign land through a toll booth and he has to save these two princesses called rhyme and reason. And he goes on this adventure with a couple of, of characters and travels around this world and, tries to save the, the the princesses and i just liked it because i like the idea of this this portal theme this portal world like this this world next to another or i can enter another world like a narnia kind of thing where i can go from yeah. my ordinary boring life which is the main character milo he kind of talks about in the first chapter how boring everything is and how he doesn't like school because it's just dull and his apartment's dull and everything's dull and boring and he, he sighs at one time at, at the beginning of the book and a bird flies away because it gets so depressed. So he's just kind of this sad kid who just nothing exciting happens and he goes to this other world and everything's exciting. And I just love that as a kid of like, oh, there's another world out there. And it just, it, it captured me at that age just for the pure like aesthetic. And then as I got older and I read it every year because it's, it just stuck with me and I could not read it every year after that. I started learning more and more about the book and the nuances that 
the the author put into it and how like there was um there was a, a king that there's these two kingdoms and one of them is the numbers kingdom and the other one is like the the words kingdom so you have these two schools of thought and it's also just super witty because it's 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 just a clever clever book um and i highly recommend if anyone and it's it's for kids yes but there's so much there for adults as well because there's a lot of jokes and a lot of puns that are put in there that unless you really know the english language um you're not going to get but mm-hmm. as I got older, I started to understand them. The book got funnier and there was there were powerful moments in there that I didn't realize as a kid. Um, so, yeah, the first book that I, I wanted to, or the first story, I guess I wanted to bring up that really impacted me and shaped me into a person who loved stories. And this was probably my first taste of what it felt like to like, oh, man, that was great. And I don't know why, because I'm only 11, but <laughs> like this was this was a great great intro to that and i highly recommend someone or anyone go pick it up and and read it or listen to it as i did i'm sure there's no cassette tapes anymore on it but it's probably out there on on audible or something you might be able to track one down i mean if you're if you're thrifty if you like your local thrift store you might be able to track down a fan yes it was like an eight cassette tape box too so it was it was it was an investment for sure. Oh yeah, that's that's awesome. So you like the the transporting from from like your reality to your fantasy type of world type of stories. I love those as well. It's kind of like in a way, it's it's making you feel as you're reading or you're watching as you engage with the story. It's almost like you're doing that as you read a book or you watch a movie right you're kind of transporting yourself into another world mm. so in a way it's it's kind of like what the character is experiencing is what you're experiencing by reading it or exactly yeah or, it's like a concrete like example of what's actually happening to you as you're reading it and it's right it's so captivating and um I'm, i've always just i've always since then i've just always enjoyed no matter how corny or great or just average the story is i always enjoy these other world kind of stories yeah yeah they're fun and they make you they they really make you just totally escape into the world because you're you're invited to do so in such an easy way yeah um now do you like do you like escaping into into the stories kind of using stories as escapism or do you like to be analytical as you're reading or watching or or how do you approach how do you approach engaging with the story are are you kind of maybe analysis later or always analyzing yeah it depends on the genre um okay i don't i mean i was never the kid that read fantasy because my life was not good or something tragic was happening and I needed to escape. I know that that's a story for a lot of people that do read fantasy. Um, yeah, but, or have read fantasy. Um, but I, I've never, I was, I've always just enjoyed the, the otherworldliness of it. I liked just thinking of another world in my head and maybe that is a form of, of that, but it wasn't because of like, I needed to get out of the world that I was currently right. in. I just like, I like the possibility that there could be another world beside it, uh, beside yeah. ours that had this magical land and these, these fun, crazy creatures that could spill out into our world sometimes. And so I, I was more of just like a pure enjoyment 
kind of reader. Um, yeah. It wasn't until I got into high school and took some AP classes and eventually college that I started looking at stories with a more critical lens. Um, yeah. But even now, I don't really read critically. Um, maybe the most critical, want- like, go ahead. No, 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 you finish what you're going to say, and then I'll, I'll add I would, Yeah, I was just, uh, I think that, like, my critical mind only comes out when I notice the language or the the way the story is told is just not very good. Um, and unfortunately, mm-hmm. um, some indie authors fall into that category. I'm not bashing anybody, but just that's that's the only time it ever it sticks out to me is is when I can tell like, okay, this is an amateur versus like a, a seasoned person who's been writing for 40 years. Yeah. That's the only time I maybe am critical, but for the most time, I'm just like, you know what? I'm reading a story. I'm just, I'm here for the, the ride. Um, I just want to kind of just kick back and turn my, my mind off a little bit and just enjoy a good read. Yeah. Yeah. I want to mention, you mentioned AP classes and mm, uh, you yes. and I were in the same AP class. Who knows? I think I think when this goes up, we're definitely going to have to share this with our AP English teacher. Yes, um, yes. To, to see if she'll listen in. But we kind of would refer to ourselves as the average Joes in, <laughs> in AP classes. Cause yes. We, yes. Uh, we were the guys who we loved sports and we weren't necessarily try hard or die hard in school but we loved english like loved english class mm-hmm. but we would kind of sometimes wonder like are we are we trying too hard yeah. here <laughs> to analyze these things are we yeah. <laughs> and here we are making a podcast talking right about i know it. So she'll be so proud <laughs> <laughs> oh man that's kind of funny to think about but no it just i i I'm kind of with you on that. I like to analyze. I like to discuss, but I really kind of like to take in whatever the the storyteller is wanting us to experience. Experience the ride first, and then go back and analyze later. Yeah, uh, because if you're constantly analyzing while you're trying to enjoy something, then you're not experiencing the ride. It's like going on a roller coaster and trying to think of the engineering as you're going up and down the hills. You're you're not going to enjoy it right. nearly as much, right? Because you're you're not going along for the ride, but if you enjoy the roller coaster and then you go back and do some research on that roller coaster and study it afterwards, then you'll be like, oh man, okay, this is really cool. Right. And, and so I, I guess unless you have anything else to say on Phantom Toll Booth, we'll jump into, we'll jump into my first. Oh no, yeah. I want to hear about your, your which one you're okay. going to pick here. So I'm starting off, I'm starting off, I'm going to, I'm going to go big here. And this is a, this is a big intellectual (laughs) property that a lot of people know about, uh, but I am absolutely obsessed with, and I absolutely love, Uh, I am, I'm total diehard fans that can attest on that. Um, But we're going to talk about the Lord of the Rings. Uh, I am Uh, shocked that made your list. The, (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. Shocked that made my list. Yeah. Um, But, uh, the Lord of the Rings is probably one of the most influential stories in, in my life because it is what opened my eyes to how someone can literally build a world out of their imagination. Hmm. Um, and because of the details and things like that in, in Lord of the Rings and Middle Earth and all that J.R.L. Tolkien does with that. Um, my actual my first experience with it was uh, I read The Hobbit, the book The Hobbit, 
when I was in fourth grade because I knew that the Lord of the Rings movie was coming out. And so I was like, I'm going to read all these books before the movie comes out. And I was only able to get through The Hobbit before the movie came out. Um, But I remember absolutely loving The Hobbit, reading the book. We had the... um, the cartoon DVD. Have you ever seen the Hobbit cartoon film? Oh, yes. That was on TV yeah. once when I was younger. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I would watch that from time to time. We had that on VHS tape and I loved the movie. I love equally loved the book, thought it was great. I remember uh, just for me, always kind of feeling like a Hobbit. I'm, I'm not a very big guy, so I relate <laughs> I relate with the hobbits, you know, they're very <laughs> well, tiny. No, I'm not, I'm not a huge guy myself. Uh, my feet aren't as hairy, Yes, but, yeah. but I can relate with them wanting a simple life. And, and I've always been drawn to the, the hobbit characters, but I remember the first time I saw the Lord of the Rings movie, I was in fourth grade. My dad took me to the theater and, and we just watched this movie and I was totally drawn in i was 10 years old totally sucked into this movie thought it was absolutely incredible and i remember uh my looking at my dad and and he wasn't quite as into it (laughs) i I think he he appreciated it but he wasn't as as into it as as i was i was enthralled and i think my dad was a little bit surprised that he took his 10 year old to a three plus hour movie So, so dad, thank you so much for taking me to that. Cause that was, that's one of the most influential, uh, stories I've ever experienced. I have since seen all the movies, read all the books. I have, you know, all the, the Tolkien diehards out there are going to knock me for this, but I have never finished the Silmarillion. Uh, I've, I've never finished it. I know it's a mark against me, but I'm not going to sit here and try and act like I know everything about the first (laughs) age. You know, I don't want to be a Tolkien poser, especially on the internet. There's some people out oh, there who yeah. are like, they're sharpening that, their They might know more right about now. Middle Earth than Tolkien knew about Middle Earth. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yes. there's, there's some people out there. Um, but I love it. Absolutely love it. Um, I think one of the, the best parts about Lord of the Rings to me is it's a story that shows us that you can have a very black and white story that is extremely captivating and extremely interesting as long as you can raise the conflict up and make it relatable. Like sometimes, especially now in the modern day, it's like, oh, we don't necessarily love the black and white storytelling. We want a little more gray. That's very popular these days. But if you can do, everyone knows who the bad guy is and everyone knows who the good guy is and everyone knows that the good guy is probably going to win. If you can pull that off and have a totally captivating story, mm. then I think you're you're doing something extremely well. And when it holds up for 70, almost 70 years, that's really saying something. Oh, yeah. And and I love it. I, I And Zach, I'm pretty sure you're a Lord of the Rings fan as well. I am. I was actually going to interject when you were talking about seeing it for the first time with your dad because my dad took me to see the first Lord of the Rings when I was a kid and I had no idea what Lord of the Rings was before that. And my dad just kind of vaguely told me, he's like, yeah, it's about this guy and he takes this thing and like, there's some like orcs and it's, it's cool. You'll like it. And so I get there and I didn't know that they had this following of people that like to dress up 
like the characters. <laughs> and it was my first awesome. interaction with cosplayers at the same time. It was before I even knew wow. that word. And so there was, but they weren't like dressed up like the, the, the heroes. They all like dressing up like the orcs. So <laughs> we all got there. I was like, what is going on? Like these goblin looking creatures are all over the place and they're like chanting things. And we go into this like rinky dink rundown movie theater where like your feet stick to the floor when you're walking. And we watched the first movie and then it ends how it ends. And I turned to my dad and I said, is that it? And he's like, yep. <laughs> I think it's like, so. <laughs> like, well, I guess we got to wait for the next one. <laughs> well, we'll be back here next year. Yeah. No, no, what you did there, just there, explaining that story, that is a good for everyone who's listening. That is exactly kind of what we want this podcast to be about. These are the parallel quests, right? We're talking about stories, but we have memories attached to those stories that make them so important for us, right? Oh, yeah. Like, each of us, we went to the movie theater with our dad to see that. And we remember those experiences. And, and you know, that's the impact that a good story has on you. You'll remember the actual story, but you'll remember the circumstances surrounding it when you were taking it in, whether you're watching it or reading it or whatever. And uh, and that's like, that's why I think these things are so cool because they they unite us and give us something to talk about. And we all kind of have our own experiences with it. And they're similar and also different. And, and I think that's where this is cool. And I look forward to hearing back from audience members and people who listen to this on their own stories and experiences with the various different things we talk about. Because that's kind of what this is all about, using stories, the greatness about them, and bringing them together to talk about them, have fun, enjoy them, and remember them in good ways. So, yeah, absolutely. Zach, I love that story. And uh, <laughs> I would be terrified <laughs> as a 10-year-old yes. if there were orcs all over the movie theater. <laughs> Yes. The only sc thing scary about Lord of the Rings was the test I had to take in AP English class <laughs> on the first book, <laughs> which I had I mean, only seen the movie. Did up you to read that the point. book? You <laughs> know, <is> it, okay. <laughs> yeah, that was a that was a mistake that uh, yes, I avoided because because I knew that if you were going to in one in that class in particular, if you're going to rely on the movie, because there's a little bit of bait on there because that whole reading list had a lot oh, of movie adaptations, you know, oh, and I took um, the bait hook, line and sinker. <laughs> and and there's nothing, nothing on those tests that had anything to do with the movie. No, no, <laughs> you know, I kind of willingly like I was like, you know, what, this is probably going to be just as tricky, but. I, I, you know, I'll wing it. I've seen the movies a bunch of times. No, no, <laughs> not, not, not even a little bit. Yeah, yeah, total bait. But uh, another thing about Lord of the Rings is, um, as I have read the story more, Zach, you know, I was totally into playing a Lord of the Rings card game for a long time. Uh, I have found that people who love the Lord of the Rings, love Tolkien, are typically really nice people. I don't know what it is. Maybe there's something about Middle Earth that makes people want to be nicer. Maybe it's reading about hobbits. I don't know. Yes. But my experience with Lord of the Rings diehards is that, in general, they're pretty nice people. I don't know about you, but that's kind of my general experience with Yeah, uh, I don't think I've ever met a fan of of the Lord of the Rings that is – I mean, they're certainly not Star Wars fans. I think they're they're very – they're very different in that way. Um, Certainly not Star Wars fans. That is, uh, yes, that is an interesting. They love their story. Right there, they exactly. love their stories. I'll say they love Lord <laughs> of the Rings. They love Middle Earth. 
They love yeah. everything about it. Uh, Star Wars fans, on the other hand, uh, I think the only people who hate Star Wars more are Star Wars fans. <laughs> so, yeah, oh, I, yeah, yeah. I would sure. say that Lord of the Rings fans are generally they're the nicest people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I I really do think that Tolkien fans are super duper nice. And that'll wrap up Lord of the Rings for me for now. I'm sure at some point down the road, we'll do like a deep dive discussion into all there is about the Lord of the Rings. But before that ball gets rolling, we're going to move on to Zach's next one he wants to do on his list. So I wanted to change it up with this. I know that I mentioned Star Wars, but I'm not going to go into that one. Um I'm going to I'm going to talk a little bit about the Legend of Zelda series. Um because it was the first time I ever encountered storytelling in video game form that kind of captured the same sense of awe and wonder and and excitement that the Phantom Tollbooth captured um for me. So mm-hmm. I was a particular one, which, which so, yeah. So the first, actually the first Zelda game I ever owned, and I actually thought about this today, um, was, was Link's Awakening and nice, but that one didn't do it for me though. And I think that was because I was too young and that was also about the same time Pokemon was at its height. Um, yeah, yeah. So I was, I was super into Pokemon at that point. So I had the game for Game Boy and I enjoyed it. But I didn't really understand the lore and like the the what Zelda was. Um, I was just like, okay, there's this guy in a green elf looking suit, and he, I'm gonna go around and s- smack things with my sword. But yeah, then I got an N64, and the Ocarina of Time came out, and okay. that changed everything gaming wise for me because mm-hmm. that told a story so in-depthly and so so purely that a a kid of 12 or 11 years old could understand that even adults could also understand so it it hit just such a huge range of people that um like it it just it was such a great not only just game but the the characters in it were just like I can even remember now um what they look like and what they what they said and like how you unlock certain things and it was also the first game that even though it was a single player game um meaning that I'm the only one who can play the game for those who don't video game um <laughs> my friends would come over and we'd all sit around and watch each other play and try and beat certain levels and solve puzzles and it was like this interactive experience that we all had and um, I think for a lot of gamers, like Ocarina of Time kind of stands at the top of like favorite games and um, because there's been many more Zelda games after and many before. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, that one, um, I think it's once again, like, you know, it's kind of Lord of Rings esque, whereas, you know, who the good guy is and you know who the bad guy is. But the way it's told is just so unique and um, powerful that it, it sticks with you um, even 15 20 years removed yeah and the thing about zelda too like the legend of zelda games is and i think this is something video games can do in their stories very well without it being too cheesy that a lot of their mediums can't is it has this fantastic design like as the game it gets progressively more difficult and you get closer to the end with ganondorf like the creatures in the 
and the bosses start to look kind of creepier and scarier and more threatening. And so you kind of, it's escalating, it's escalating the stakes through this visual medium. That's just really cool um, in video games. Yeah. And I mean, you go from exploring like a tree in the first level to basically scaling a, a castle that is falling apart with like all these horrors and fire and darkness, like at the very end of the game, it really is just this, like this progression of, of, of visual storytelling as well as, yeah. as just the actual story. Yeah. And now something too that Zelda does, and maybe you can speak to this because other storytelling mediums can't really do this is they have the role of the silent protagonist, right? Like link throughout the story. He doesn't actually verbalize or say anything. He doesn't have any text. You as the player, the person controlling link, you are the one who makes his yeah. text and talking decisions for him. I think that that's something that really only video games can do and it and it adds for what I consider to be a pretty immersive experience. What do you, what do you think about that? And uh, how do you think that that impacts? I like, think Legend of Zelda. Could you imagine a Zelda game where Link talks? No, and actually, I, as I was telling you before we started the show today, I I played Breath of the Wild um, for a little bit today, and I remember because there's not really generally much talking, anyways, in any of the games from any character other than like an occasional like hello or listen or yeah. like just kind of these one liners or these noises, these playful noises that they have because no one really talks in any of them. Right. But the right. breath of the wild well, there's text dialogue. There is text, but they don't like visual or um, audit, like audit, like speak to talk. Right. They yeah. just, you got to read everything, um, which is terrible for like young kids playing the game for the first time. You're like, I got to read all this. Um, That's a great way to sell your parents on playing it. Like, I'm reading <laughs> while I play. You know? And then you get stuck with that owl and you keep having him say the same stuff over and over and over again. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, what I was going to say is with Breath of the Wild, it was the first time when the game opens up, there's someone talking. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I turned to my friend. I was like, is Zelda going to, or is Link going to talk in this game? He's like, no, 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 he doesn't talk. But people do talk in this game now. And I was like, oh my gosh, like that's, it just like, it was so out of left field for a Zelda game. Um, yeah. Because Link is this silent character. He doesn't say anything. And that's, that's such a unique device because you imprint your thoughts and feelings and desires onto him. And it's incredible because he plays the same story for anyone who plays the video game but you're going to kind of experience Link a little differently based on who you are. So if I yeah. sit down and play the game and play through Ocarina of Time and you sit down and play the game, we're both going to play the same story, but we're going to have different feelings because of how mm-hmm. we're imprinting, imprinting ourselves on Link. And yeah, you get like text choices and stuff sometimes to, with Link, but it doesn't really affect the game all that much. Right, yeah, um, very just, minimal. Yeah, it just maybe they say something different. That's kind of funny. Um, mm-hmm. But the, you still have a, a different experience because he is that silent character that you, it's, it's, it's a device meant for you to become that character. And it's awesome to pretend that you are kind of like Link in these stories. And you're you're saving the princess and you're going to fight the evil guy and you're going to save the kingdom. And it's just it's 
it's a medium that when I was 10 or 11, whenever I first played um, Ocarina of Time, that I didn't know existed. And I think Zelda is one of the few games that does that. I know there have been more games with the silent protagonist um, since then, but it was yeah. certainly one of the first. Yeah, there's a few that do it. But uh, something that I will say about video games for myself, and I don't know if you think the same about them, is that especially when I was younger, video games kind of were the spark to my creativity more than more than anything else, more than a book, more than a movie, more than a TV show. For some reason, playing a game, kind of being immersed in those imaginative worlds and interacting with the story are the things that spurred me to want to create or write or tell stories more than really anything else. Did you have a similar experience with that or no? Um, no, it did. I, the funny thing is after I played Zelda for the first time, um, my childhood friend and I started creating our own video game. And it was a pretty mm -hmm. much as a blatant ripoff of yeah, Zelda. It was thing, pretty right? much yeah. the same game. But we started creating our own characters and our own monsters. And I remember we would sit in his room and he would cut out like almost an exact replica of one of the monsters <laughs> in Zelda, but we would call it something different and it would be in our video game. And I would sit down yeah. and I would, I would draw the puzzles and the maps and stuff like that for all the levels. And I would sit there and try and come up with cool, creative ways to, for um, the character to solve this, a, a puzzle. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, it really impacted me to the point that like, I thought I wanted to be a video game developer at age 12. And yeah. I thought that I could do it because I could draw crude looking monsters. And I had this like little keyboard that I would try and make like the music for because Zelda is also <laughs> like a really musical yeah. video game. And so I was like, I'm going to also create my own music for my video game. And it was like just basic piano like chords or, or uh, notes. So yeah, um, yeah it, it definitely impacted me in a sense that um, I wanted to create after that. Um, and I didn't want to maybe necessarily write a story, but I wanted to create another world and create something yeah. out of my experience with that game. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I hear you on that. That's, that's very much what video games have done with me. And, and I'll talk a little bit more on that when we get to one of mine. Um, but uh, is there any final thoughts you have on, Legend of Zelda, Ocarina of Time. No, I think, I mean, I could talk a long time about it, especially moving on to Majora's Mask and then Wind Waker. And yeah, I haven't played many of the new ones since GameCube, oh, but um, Wind Waker, man, that is, that's, my I know favorite. that's your, yeah, that's your baby. Yeah. I love that game. All right, man. Well, let's move, let's move on to this next one and we'll do, we'll do, uh, for me, we're going to change up the medium. I'll do, I'll do one of my video games I have here too, since we're talking about video games. Um, I'm going to do the one that I have here that has a little bit less, less impactful first. So there's a game, it's called Metal Gear Solid. Metal mm. Gear Solid. For anyone who doesn't know what this is, it is a Sony PlayStation game. came out in the late 90s. 
And uh, it's a game where you are a special agent. His name is Solid Snake. You're thrown onto this island, not an island, but you're thrown into this military base that's kind of covert. It's called Shadow Moses. And you are on this mission to try and take down these rogue operatives from a thing called Fox Hound because you're trying to stop them. They have a very dangerous weapon which is called a metal gear and you're trying to stop them from activating it and using it for terrorist purposes and this game i remember this game i played it when i was probably way too young so uh, (laughs) this is a rated m game meaning it's for ages like 17 and up and i played this game when i was probably 11 or 12 yes (laughs) so this is shortly this is shortly after actually the playstation 2 came out so playstation 2 came out in 2000 I probably played this maybe like a year later or so. Uh, But I remember my brother and his friends would like rave about this game. Or my brother's friends. I'm not sure if my brother ever actually played it. And so I borrowed it from one of his friends. And I was going to play it. And then I remember I took it over. I took it over to my friend's house. And we were having a sleepover. It was like my first time having a sleepover with this friend. So we hung out. The funny thing about it is, is that. We had this sleepover. We played Metal Gear Solid all night, and then the next day we went and saw Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Um, but <laughs> anyway, we were talking about Harry Potter before we started recording, so that's just kind of yeah. why it was funny. And so played this game, and I remember just thinking, like, man, this game has all sorts of twists and turns. I had very little understanding of the story when I was a little kid, but I remember just feeling like this is like being a secret agent. This is super cool. It had, it was really challenging for me as a kid. I think it took me a long time to beat because you kind of got to be sneaky and you got to figure out how to beat bosses. And this was before you could go on YouTube and watch somebody else do it. If you were stuck at a part, you just kind of had to figure it out. And so Metal Gear Solid kind of had these difficult boss fights and things like that. And and so it was just one of these things where really enjoyed the game, liked playing it a lot. I remember the sequel came out shortly after I beat the first one. And when I was in fifth grade or so, and my mom will probably understand when she listens to this why my grades weren't very good in fifth grade. In fifth grade, I would sit and I had this notebook and I would like pen stories about what would happen to solid snake next like i would make sequel games to metal gear solid and like i had all these ideas and i would write them out and they were probably terrible they Did were any awful. of them up, end up being correct any of these ideas i no, because mostly i was doing what <laughs> i was doing what you and your friend were doing just kind of ripping off <laughs> ripping the stories it, yeah. that were already told and just kind of changing them up a little bit yeah but what I remember it was it was Metal Gear Solid that got me interested in espionage type stories. Um, showed me that you can really do a lot with that genre, and and now you know I haven't really gotten into a whole lot of Tom Clancy stuff or anything like that. But I really like the show Jack Ryan. I like the movies, um, and, and I really like espionage type of stories because they. What I've always loved about those types of stories is. Not so much the actual mission or the action or the explosions and all that stuff, but more like the people who do this, the secret agents and the operatives, they're real people and they've got real struggles, they've got real problems, they've got real history, they've got real issues, you know? Like you're playing through this game and you're playing through Solid Snake and it kind of 
you know, alludes to his love story and his past like life, people he's known. Um, you end up finding out like he's he's a clone, and how does that impact his yeah you know psyche? And it's kind of slightly neat to see, like, the- slightly different hero than than Link. Yeah, totally different, much darker hero. <laughs> uh- <laughs> yes. Yes. But I've I really got into to that um, type of story, the espionage type of stuff. Really, really enjoyed that, and uh, had a lot of fun with those those games. And and it that's like I was saying before. That's kind of what spurred me on to pen some stories, some sequels, and you know now Metal Gear Solid is basically like a dead franchise. Uh, and, yeah. Uh, but did you think that Solid Snake, when you played it that first time, did you think he would become? I mean. He made it into, now I'm going to really nerd out here, but to Super Smash Brothers, which is kind of yeah. like the Hall of Fame of video game characters. Like, did you think that he was going to be, when you played it the first time, this this iconic guy for this, this series? Or even in, just in video games. Everyone recognizes who Solid Snake is who plays video games. Yeah, you know, it actually is kind of a surprise to me because... Back then, like nobody was playing Metal Gear Solid in my age group. You know, it was <laughs> yes, not many ten year olds. <laughs> we were we were playing, you know, Nintendo sixty four like 007 and you know things like Zelda and Mario Kart and you know stuff over on PlayStation. Even like people who were our age as as kids and stuff were more into like Ape Escape or um, you know like Crash Bandicoot things like that. And to see Snake become so popular and Metal Gear Solid become so popular was kind of a surprise to me because I actually thought that the second game um, did one of the most interesting things in video games ever where, uh, I guess this is a spoiler, everything in this podcast is going to be spoilers. So Yeah, so um, we, should, we should have said that at the beginning. 48 minutes into our first episode here, yeah, <laughs> every, everything on this podcast is spoiler alert. <laughs> but... Uh, but in the in the second one, you think you're going to do another Solid Snake adventure, but about two hours into the game, you find out that the main protagonist, you are actually not controlling Solid Snake. And it's like, what? What? And, um, you know, oh, to man. see us, the series kind of take off and have this huge success was kind of a surprise. Um, see, but, I always I mean, love hearing about it because I never played the games. I only ever watched people play it, but it always oh, yeah. blows my mind when people talk about it because i'm like oh man that's so cool when you think back in and this is me nerding out on video games for a second when you think back about when metal gear solid was made it was either 1997 or 1998 i can't remember what year but it was so far ahead of its time it had a fully voice acted game yeah in 1997 and games were back were on cds back then cds compact discs and so the game was on two cds and it was just, it was something else, man. The script was great. The uh, story was, was it was kind of like confusing, but also really interesting. And it was challenging. It was just really good, man. I, yeah. I, I couldn't say enough about it. Uh, but, but one of the most influential stories, because it made espionage interesting to me, as well as kind of got me like thinking, oh man, how could, how could Snake save the world next you know right in his very subtle ways 
<laughs> and there's mechs in it, and I always like mechs. So. Oh yeah, man, mechs are great. Metal Gears, those things are sick, yeah. dude. I can't believe you've never played a Metal Gear Solid. I, game. Yeah, I just missed out. I never had a PlayStation. That was part of it. Uh, I didn't get a PlayStation until much later, and by then, like I think when I got a PlayStation One, the PlayStation Two was about to become the PlayStation Three. So, yeah, it, I just got it so late in the in the console game that I I never ended up playing it. But you. I did watch some of the cinematics to metal gear four. And that was incredible to watch. Yeah. 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 That was a, that was a really good looking game. Yeah. Kind of a strange story. Kind it's of like, a weird. <laughs> yeah. Thing. That one was kind of, yeah, but I mean, it was sweet. I mean, it was like watching a movie, but yeah. you got to play it. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. But that's all I've got on metal gear solid for now. Okay. Otherwise we'd have, you know, this podcast <laughs> is going to go for three hours. We're going to call the metal um, gear podcast at this at this pace but uh but zach what do you got next on your list that you want to talk about all right so i'm going to move on to one that some it's not his most well-known movie um i know people probably know this person um christopher nolan he's most famous probably for the the batman trilogy um he's also famous for uh inception um but this one's going in, in in the Wayback Machine here. This is Memento, um, mm-hmm. and it was it was written by his brother um, and directed by Chris. And I I love Memento because I've seen it a handful of times, but the first two times I saw it, the whole time I was like, "What is going on?" Because the way the movie is told is from two points of view, where there's one storyline going on and it's completely told by the same character. So you follow the same character throughout the whole movie, but part of the movie is told from a perspective of it all being in black and white. And then the other part of the movie is told in a colored version, but these two storylines are happening at the same time, but they're, they're both a past and present version of this guy. And basically the story, one storyline is working its way forward and the other one is working its way backward until it hits a certain point where it all comes together and makes sense. And it was such a, it was already a confusing movie to begin with. And then you had this other visual element of storytelling that you recognize through the whole movie, but you have no idea the significance of it, it, of what it is because it's the first time you're seeing the movie. So it was just, it was such a good, and it wasn't so much the story was compelling. It was a cool concept. Like this guy had short-term memory loss. I forget how long it was. It was like, he forgot things almost immediately. So he had to tattoo his body to like remind his future self of the events of what he's, he's going through. I think he's trying to solve like a murder or something. I can't remember completely what he's trying to solve. Um, It's been a while since I've seen this movie, if you couldn't tell, but um, I just remember the visual story element of it is what impacted me the most because it was a break from the norm of storytelling in movies. Um, mm-hmm. Because obviously movies are a visual medium as well as they are like are an audio medium and like all that. But the the way that they used like color and just something that's such like a v- actual visual palette, not just like oh when he um like in schindler's list when you see like the girl in the red jacket <clears throat> it it 
it's significant for a reason, but it's just such an obvious one that, you know, the meaning behind it. But this one was like, there's two different things going on and the way the story is progressing. You're, you're, you're trying to, you're basically like the main character and you're trying to figure out what the heck is going on because they're also trying to figure out what the heck is going on. Mm -hmm. Um, and so Memento is, it's a confusing movie. Um, or maybe I'm just dumb and (laughs) it's not a confusing movie, but the first time I saw it, I was like, I was blown away at the end because it all came together, but I still didn't really understand it. So I had to watch it again. Um, and then I had to write a, a term paper on it, but, um, yeah, there was, it was such a good way of, of showing how a movie can both tell a story, um, through plot, but also tell a story visually. Um, and we kind of talked about that with Zelda, um, just how it, it, it progresses, um, through the through the story both visually and just plot wise but this is this is such a good movie because it, it's so unique i've never seen something blend black and white and color and also use it as a storytelling device um yeah so it, it was i watched it in college twice um because i had to do it for a class um but it was it's such it's it's a very good movie and i think anyone who who watches it would at least a appreciate the what the nolans were trying to do as they were telling the story yeah yeah and And i know you haven't seen it right that's what you said yeah i haven't seen it but it from what you're telling me it seems to have kind of like that nolan effect where the movie's really captivating during the screen time you're watching it but it doesn't really reveal what's actually happening till you kind of get to that end point and then right. it's like oh wait a minute now i gotta go back and rewatch it to understand what actually happened kind of like inception kind of like the prestige um, yes yeah effect. he he likes using like visual cues to kind of reveal something about the plot and he's he's very good i mean he's an artur at it um mm-hmm. if anyone's seen the, the his movies um he's very very good at at using that um, that that medium of telling a story through visual cues. Yeah, I agree. I I love I love Christopher Nolan's films. I haven't seen Memento, and I haven't seen uh, Dunkirk, but I think I've seen pretty much everything else he's done. Yeah, I haven't seen Dunkirk, but I've everything up to that. Yeah, I've seen. I believe. Yeah, I feel like he had a new one come out recently. Was it Dunkirk? Was that? The most recent I think one. Dunkirk was the last one he did. I could be wrong about that. There was there's something in the back of my head feeling like he has like either a sci-fi movie in the works yeah. or that just came out or something. I remember because there was like this weird stuff going on where you had to be like an insider to see some trailer. I saw it a couple months yeah. ago, like new Christopher Nolan movie trailer, but you need to. It was only shown at like a like one of those cinema festivals okay. or something like that. And I was like, oh man, I want to see this. I mean, that guy could literally make any movie and it, it would be, everyone would go see it. It would be very good. It's, I think he's, I think he's a great filmmaker. I, mean, I think Jonathan Nolan is also a, a, a great filmmaker. Uh, he's, he's a good writer. He's written yeah. a lot of uh, good things. Yeah. Um, I think DC should just hire Christopher Nolan to do all of his super, their superhero movies. Cause they would all turn <laughs> out just as awesome as, the the dark knight and the batman yeah. trilogy yeah we're 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 a long way from 
from that. We're far way <laughs> off from the Christopher One Nolan can dream. DC days. One can dream. Ugh, yeah, what what days? All right, man. Let's move on to um, let's keep moving down this list. We've been going on for quite a while, but I think we just keep going, man. We just keep we keep pushing through. The, the, the people are loving it. List. So, yeah. Thanks, guys, for listening to to this point. I'm having a lot of fun here talking about these things, and I can't wait to do more episodes because I'm just getting more excited as we go. <laughs> but uh, next one on my list: influential story, and I'm going to. I'll be quick with this one, but there's a story of why I love this story. So the next one on the list for me is Fahrenheit 451 mm. by Ray Bradbury. And this is a book that I actually read extremely reluctantly because here's what happened. In real life, I was a senior in high school in the aforementioned AP English class, and I had a <laughs> I had a book test coming up, right? And... On this, uh, the next day, uh, the book test was going to be on a day right after the guys' playoff basketball game, and I wanted to go to this playoff basketball game. Zach, you might even remember this. I do remember this. Um, and I wanted to go so bad, and I made this awful, awful mistake. <laughs> I I called my parents up and I said, "Hey, could you guys pick up this book for me from the library?" <laughs> and my parents were like, "Yeah, sure." You didn't even have the Why book at this point. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I didn't have the book at this point. And then they were like, "Why do you need it?" And I was like, oh, "I got a test next week." Totally lied, right? Just, <laughs> yeah, I lied. Okay, but throwing it out there, I lied. Next tomorrow, and, and then you know me, I was convicted by the the, the Holy Spirit. Convicted me. So. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and uh, my mom kept pressing. <laughs> like, <laughs> When's his test? And I was like, ah, it's tomorrow, but it's a short book, I swear. <laughs> Don't worry about it. So uh, I actually picked this book to do on my reading list because it was the shortest one available. But ended up ended up being told I couldn't go to the basketball game. Super duper disappointed, right? Yeah. Um, I just wanted to be there with my friends and enjoy the night. And then, you know, pull an all-nighter, read the book, and... Yeah, do the high school Take the thing. test the next day. Anyway, I had to do that without going to the basketball <laughs> game. However, I remember loving every single page of Fahrenheit 451, mm. being totally sucked into the story. And that what Fahrenheit 451 does, for people who don't know, Fahrenheit 451 is set in this future where basically reading certain materials is outlawed. There's been a, a list of outlawed books. So basically all of your classic fiction and all that, it's, it's, it's a story basically going against censorship, right? You were only allowed to read or consume what society said you could read or consume. Mm -hmm. And, and so this, this firefighter who basically burns books for a living, his name's Guy Montag. He ends up stumbling upon this, this person who who you kind of introduces him to books and uh, i can't remember her her name at at the time uh oh here it is on on wikipedia clarice and and he's able to to grab these books he kind of keeps them and secretly hides them and um as he's going through this journey of of taking in fiction and taking in great stories and these classic these classics, he's wanting to to read more and more and more and more. 
uh, the stakes get really high for him because now he's realizing that he's hiding this secret life, right? And yeah. so then he's basically, he becomes a, a exile and, and a fugitive of his own society because he goes against the code, the very law he's trying to enforce, he goes against because he realizes the beauty in this art, in these writings. And so as I'm reading this book, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is this is captivating. This is so totally um, engaging. And the reason why this book is so important for me is because it was one of the first stories that didn't really have either an action or a science fiction or an action or a fiction f- or a fantasy focus that I really liked. Like, yes, it is science fiction, but it's more of a realistic science fiction. And... And I, I just was like, wow, this is a, a fantastic story that the stakes feel so high in it the whole entire time. Yeah. And and I was totally gripped by it. And, and it also made me appreciate that, you know, what we have before us, the, the art, the expression, the writings, the movies, the stories that we get to take in every day, those are blessings, you know? And, yeah. and there are some societies out there who do, they... They slap down censorship. They don't let their people watch or read everything. And, you know, that's sad. And and there's just certain things people will never know because of mankind's paranoia and fear. And just, I, I loved it. I read the whole thing in, in a few hours. I remember being somewhat bitter going in, but absolutely loving uh, going through the book. And, and it's still to this day, I remember reading it. I remember a lot of the story. I watched the HBO movie that came out not too long ago and was like, ugh, that was terrible. <laughs> but, <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> but that's okay. Yeah. Uh, they they tried. And it's just one of those things after I watched the film, I was like, yeah. you know, there's just some stories that make really difficult movies, and I think that's one of them. Yeah. And that opening line, man, it was a pleasure to burn. It just sucks yeah. you in right from the beginning. And yeah. I, I, I remember because I also read that one for that test and <laughs> <laughs> and it was really good. I, just, I read it, I guess, a little sooner, but yeah, yeah, I also picked it because it was the smallest. Yeah, yeah, but but powerful, small and powerful. Small and, very and I think powerful. that that's and I love Ray Bradbury. Um, the Illustrated Man is one of my favorite collections of short stories. Such a good uh, writer. I love all of those, his um, philosophy of, of fiction, his love for writing is is so clear in mm-hmm. what he does. And, and I'm sure we'll talk about a lot of Ray Bradbury stuff yeah. here on this podcast. But uh, for now, that's just my introduction to it. I loved Fahrenheit 451, love Bradbury. Did you want to explain what the significance of 451 is for our audience? Uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's the temperature at which paper burns. So yeah. uh, Fahrenheit 451. Yeah. 451 degrees. So you already know what the book's going to be about from the title. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure most people knew that well, going yeah, in here. Yeah. yeah. If you if you were in high school English, yes. Yeah. Although I don't know what they do in high school English now. Yeah. Uh, I had students show me some of the books they're reading now they're and reading it like was really Twilight now or something. Yeah, there's just something really strange, some really <laughs> weird thing and one of the chapters was about like just weird stuff and I was like <laughs> I'm not even going to mention what it was about. They're having you read this in high school. Yeah. (laughs) What the heck? (laughs) Uh, No wonder you're all depressed. Yeah, no wonder. Just read some Fahrenheit 451. That'll cheer you up. 
Yeah, there you go. That'll brighten your day. Uh, <laughs> all right, man. Let's move on to the next one on your list. Oh, oh. yeah, yeah. I'm gonna Oof. I'm gonna do this. I'm probably gonna be pretty brief on this one because it is uh, it is it is big right now. Um, if you haven't noticed, there's this thing called um, uh, what's it called? Star Wars going on right now. Um, it has exploded in the past three years um exploded or imploded that's the question yeah i mean uh i don't want to get the the nerds all (laughs) riled up so i'm gonna i'm not gonna get my opinion on (laughs) what what i think right now of the the current state of it but when i was a kid we'll go back we're gonna go way back when i was a kid my dad had the box set of the vh the vh box set of star wars and I remember for so long because he wouldn't let me watch it because he said it was too violent. I had to get to wait to like, I had to wait to a certain age and I must've been really young because there's a lot of kids just doing star Wars now. So I must've been really young or my dad must've been like kind of misinformed with how violent star it is, but like it's not that bad. But I remember for like a whole, maybe it was just, I had to wait a year or something because I waited so long and all I could do was just look at this yeah. box set and it had, I mean, even if you were like five and you had to wait a year yeah, until you were it was six, an that's an eternity, man. Yeah. And it was like, I knew nothing because there was no the internet back then. Like I couldn't, my friends didn't really know. So I just stared at this box set and all it had was a picture of Darth Vader's mask on it. And I just I remember like always seeing it and being like, what the heck is this? Like, this looks so cool. And like I just I would create stories in my head about who this guy was or what because I thought he was a robot. Like I didn't know what he That's was. Awesome. Like when growing up, I thought he was I didn't know he was a human. I thought he was just a robot and it was just a cool looking robot mask. And so then I Dude, I didn't know he I didn't know he wasn't a human until the end of Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. Because there was no internet. <laughs> Wait, what? My dad didn't tell me because he wanted me to experience it. So I just found out for myself. But my theory was he was a robot for the longest time. That's but, amazing because I thought the same thing. Yeah, because this who was going to tell you other than your parents, but they didn't want to spoil it. So I just like I eventually got to watch it, the first one. And I remember my dad, my dad must have been a big Star Wars fan when it came out because he bought like the director's cut version of the VHS. And okay. so he had it at the beginning of every movie. It kind of had this behind the scenes stuff where. George, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. So where George Lucas and like people who worked on it, like would talk about how they did things and they kind of get you like real amped up to watch the movie. Um, but I fast forward through all that because I was like, I don't know. This has nothing to do with what I want to see. So then I finally watch it and it just captivated me. It was the best story and it, it's, it's the most timeless story. I think on my list, um, like the hero's journey. I mean, that's basically what Lucas like cherry picked from was the the classic hero story um and just put a bunch of elements and put it in space um but it was just the cool and anyone who's ever seen star wars for the first time probably has the same story where it's like it is the coolest thing you've ever seen it's just space battles and like lightsaber fights and princesses and and funny sidekicks and like lasers and it's just it's everything a young boy wants to see in a movie but then told in a way that you kind of see yourself 
in Luke Skywalker because Luke wants to be, and I knew this from a very early age too. I was like, I kind of relate with him because Luke wants to be, he wants to go on an adventure. He wants to be something more than just this farmer on a planet. He wants to go to the Tashi station and get power converted. He wants to go to the (laughs) Tashi. He wants to go on an adventure with his friends (laughs) to the Tashi. Power converter. Yes. That's all he wants to do. And it's the biggest adventure of his life. And I just, I, it resonated with me because I wanted, I wanted the same thing. And I think that kind of maybe deep down spawned my, my love and desire for travel when I was, fresh out of college. Um, I traveled around the world and I taught um, in Korea for a couple years. And maybe I wasn't thinking about Star Wars when I did that, but I I remember from an early age, I was like, I want to do an adventure just like that. And um, I mean, anyone, I mean, everyone's seen Star Wars at this point, so they know the impact that it has, not just the movies, but there's books now and video games that add to the lore. And it's just, it's this, it's this entity that this multimedia entity that every every aspect of it adds a little more to to the story. So if you read a book, it adds kind of another layer to to the lore that is Star Wars, the story that is Star Wars. And then you play a video game and that adds a little bit more to to the story of Star Wars. And mm-hmm. it's just, it's the it's the coolest biggest entity of, of storytelling that uh, I think there is right now. Um, but it's just, it's awesome to, to kind of add to it. Like you kind of feel like you can be someone who adds to the story of star Wars. Um, yeah. And I think, I think that's what's so impactful for me because, um, as someone who, who loves to write and who likes writing novels and is trying to, to, to make it in that industry, um, star Wars is, is kind of a big, a big, uh, a big thing for me, a big, a big mm-hmm. goal to, to strive for of creating something that, that maybe isn't the same, but is something that can exist in a world like that, that, that people can add to. And I think that's just the coolest thing about it um, is you get to kind yeah. of be a part of that story. Yeah. And, and I love your story about like just anticipating being able to watch it. And it's funny because, you know, you and I, we're not that old, you know, I'm, I'm 28, you're 29 at the time of recording this, we'll, we'll both be 29 by the time it's released. Yeah, probably. Um, but the, the thing that's interesting about, uh, about star Wars is I remember when the, the movies were not all that attainable. Like in order to get a VHS copy of the movies, I remember used to having to borrow my uncles for some reason or another, like we didn't have them. Um, Hmm. but but i remember uh like having to borrow my uncles because because like what would happen is is movies would go in and out of print and we struggled with this with disney movies growing up right like sometimes you yeah. just go to the store and and buy the the old disney movies because they were like quote unquote in the vault right um but i remember uh like star wars was my sick day movie whenever i was sick stayed home from school i'd watch star wars mm-hmm. like like no problem that's what i did every time i was yeah. sick, stayed home from school um that's awesome and i remember when the special editions were released like the remastered special editions um my brother bought them like the first day they came out 
And I remember when Star Wars was first released on DVD. You know, that wasn't that long ago. We were in like junior high. Oh, I know. Um, and, and now we live in an era where Disney Plus exists. Yeah. And yeah. you can, for $7 a month, have not just a trilogy of Star Wars movies, but like eight yeah. Star Wars movies oh. plus two additional stories plus TV series. Oh. And oh my gosh, dude, Zach, have you, have you started The Mandalorian yet? I have not yet i know oh man know. you got you got to get on that like somewhat ashamed to say that but don't be ashamed uh, at the time this uh, this is posted uh there'll be a lot of mandalorian and, and maybe it'll totally yeah. flop but right now i've watched the first two episodes and it is hopefully i will got me it. it's got me excited about star wars oh, again man. which is great that's a good place to be. It's always good to be excited about Star Wars. Yeah. So what do you think? Give us just your quick opinion, your quick hot uh, take. I got to ask you, what do you think of the current state of Star Wars? Uh, oh, man. Um, here's what I'll say. I want another Knights of the Old Republic video game. I'm going to be very diplomatic with this. Like, I think, I think that Star Wars is it's, it's hot right now. Um, I think there's some great things about it. I think there's some awful things about it. Um, do I think it's better than the the prequels? Um, some days I'm like, yeah. Some days I'm like, no. But all I want is an old, another Knights of the Old Republic video game because that, to me, was like Star Wars. That was awesome. Like, Have you ever yeah. played that video game? You know, I have not. Oh. I have not. I haven't played either one of them. I have the first one downloaded on my computer. I just I have think not if played. they brought one of those out, like a second one or a third one, I think they're on the third one. I think if they did the third one, I think that would that would reignite my my hope for Star Wars. I think Yeah. In my honest opinion, I think that Star Wars it started off okay. Um I think the second movie was the longest chasing movie I've ever seen. Um, well, okay. The last Jedi, when I first saw it, I was like, Oh man, they did some really cool things in star Wars. Next time I saw it, I was like, wait a minute. There's a bunch of flaws in this movie that I don't like. (laughs) So apparently this third one, from what I hear from one of my, my kids at my store is there three people wrote three different scripts and then they voted on which one to do. So apparently there's three versions of the third movie or the final movie coming out. Oh geez. That is absurd. And I think I read that story. I was curious if that's actually true. I, you know what? I, I wouldn't put it past them because I think after the reception of the last Jedi, I think they're like, we have to do this right. We have to save this because I mean, the funniest thing though, is like we can go back to the original three star Wars movies and rip them because they're so funny. They're so good, but they're so funny because at times they're just so bad, but like, that's what makes them so good though. Like, I I think it's just, I think it's just time. I think time, because now I think people are starting to come around to the prequels and they make fun of the prequels the same way they make fun of like the original three. And mm-hmm. like, I even found myself like watching one of them recently and I was like, you know what? This is like, it's bad, but like, I, I, I like it. Like it's nostalgia. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's star Wars still like it's goofy. 
Um, it's not meant to be taken seriously. I think that's kind of the problem these these three that are out right now are doing is they're trying to take Star Wars too seriously. And I think like if you get you, you take it seriously enough, but once you start taking it too seriously, then I think that's when people then you get into some un, like uncharted territory there. Yeah. Well, I think the thing that happened with the Last Jedi was there there was like this focus on subverting expectations and not allowing a single fan theory to be correct yeah. to the point of where it was like you just kind of ruined it, man. Yeah. Like you went so far out of your way to not let a single fan theory be correct that your answer was terrible, you know? Yeah. <laughs> the story was terrible. The visuals were by far the best visuals I've seen in a Star Wars movie. But now with a good with a good episode nine, some of the some of the flops in in, in episode eight can can get a band-aid, you know? Like there's there's some things you can do to yeah. kind of I mean, retroactively to... fix some of that. I think they're. I mean, they're bringing back Palpatine, so you know they're they're throwing it, throwing the the kitchen sink into the. Yeah, the that doesn't here. excite me. By the way, no, that doesn't it didn't excite me, me. But I see what they're trying. They're like, okay, we got to go back all the way back to the originals to like get this thing out of whatever situation it's in. Because, I mean, Force Awakens was pretty much a New Hope, and then Last Jedi was just like. I don't even know. It was it was yeah. good and it was bad and then it was worse. So, yeah, but Force Force Awakens. What I'll say is that Force Awakens at least had that Star Wars charm. It like, did. It was that perfect balance of like I'm not serious about it, but like we're gonna have fun. But yeah. then they went with the Last Jedi, which was like, oh boy, okay, dude. As soon as I saw Luke throw that lightsaber, I was like, oh my gosh, what is happening? <laughs> what what is happening right now this, uh, i don't like this i don't i'm like uncomfortable it. i'm uncomfortable right now i was cool with the i was cool with the uh opening battle scene with the the yeah. star fighters yeah and, and then they brought those bombers what? in i was like wait what, what are yes. these bombers you got an open hatch in the yes, middle of space yeah what what is this this is not yeah I, that that got me a little bit i remember seeing it the first time and i was like wait that doesn't make any sense <laughs> that person be sucked into a vacuum of space what's happening oh uh, it was like <laughs> the best part was seeing it with my wife who like for a whole year was like digging into who snoke was and like reading i've never seen her get into star wars this much she was like, i want to know i gotta figure it out i want to see who this guy and then he dies <laughs> she was so devastated I like i didn't see that coming <laughs> You know, I got to be honest, I was swindled the first time I saw Last Jedi. Like, there were things that made me uncomfortable, but I walked away. I think I walked away wanting to like it more than I actually did. And my wife looked at me after the theater. She's like, I didn't like it. And I was like, no, no, it wasn't. It was good. Like, I was trying to convince myself it was good. And then I remember telling my friends, like, yeah, it's good. And then as it, like, settled in, it was like. Lying to yourself. It's not good, man. Star Wars isn't good anymore. <laughs> you just didn't want to say it out loud. I know. I don't. I don't want to say it out loud. You know. And then, uh, and then it just kind of settled in where it's like, yeah, the chase scene that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> they destroyed Poe, who I thought was one of the more promising characters coming into the movie, and then yeah. they're just like, no, you're, 
<laughs> I don't know why they wrote him the way they did. I, yeah. Uh, but anyway, anyways, I love Star Wars. Yeah, Star Wars is Star awesome. Wars. <laughs> Star Wars is amazing. <laughs> episode 9 will be out by the time this episode is released. and uh, I'm sure we, know, will, we will talk about we'll it. We'll talk about it. Uh, but I will say this, Zach, The Mandalorian is great. Like, imagine... Imagine Star Wars scenery set to the pacing and storytelling style of the Man with No Name series with Clint oh, Eastwood. That sounds so good. I need to. It's need to scrounge up seven bucks a month. It legitimately, it legitimately is is good at this point. Um, it's great, great storytelling. <clears throat> All right, give us give us your next one. All right, next one on the list up for me, and then uh, maybe this will be my last one. Uh, because we are getting pretty. Yeah, I think I'm going to end mine with here. Star Wars. Star Wars is a good okay. end for me. Uh, this and this last one's going to be good for me too. Because, uh, geez, I could go on forever on this one. I'm choosing Lost, the television series. Oh. Lost was. Um, I actually made that edit in this uh, this evening. Mm. Uh, Lost was the first show i watched that i got really really into and it was the first series that i was like holy cow you can have like movie quality in a television series and i know there's going to be people who listen to this and there's a lot of lost haters out there i don't know where they came from by (laughs) the way because while lost was airing everybody loved it you either didn't watch it or you loved it but now there's all these people coming out of the woodwork who are like oh yeah i always hated lost that show was stupid yeah it was bad storytelling and it's like oh get get out of here you know just stop it you know it. stop trying stop trying to act like you were watching it in 2005 (laughs) and you just popped it on netflix yesterday yeah get out of here yeah (laughs) forget but but i think um what people don't think about when they think about lost like if you just started watching it today was that Lost brought a quality and gripping storytelling style to television that was pretty unprecedented for for a network drama. Like, network television played it pretty safe with crime dramas and sitcoms and predictable formats. Mm -hmm. To go all out on a sci-fi island adventure was kind of rolling the dice. Lost is a very strange concept for a show. Yeah. Um, But what made Lost so strong is the character arcs in that show are fantastic. Yeah. They're fantastic because there's some characters who you begin liking, who you end up hating. There's characters who you begin hating, who you end up liking. There's characters who run the whole gamut. And then there's characters who you think are going to get redemption, but in the end, they never really do. And you're surprised by that. I mean, and, it was Game of Thrones before Game of Thrones, like character development wise. Oh, yeah. I I, I have not seen Game of Thrones, but char- the character development is what makes Lost a good show. The oh. overarching story and the overarching plot, yes, is convoluted and confusing and messy, mm-hmm. but... When you go and you watch the show Lost, if you watch it from the perspective of this is a story about people who are in need of redemption in this island is their avenue of finding it, uh, I think you have the the right perspective viewing it that way. And it showed me how well you can use flashbacks and 
um, character focus in stories. Like I was just totally gripped um, with every episode because I just wanted to know who was going to be the next focal character, what their backstory was going to be, what their side story was going to be, or their forward story. Yeah. And uh, I just thought it was really good television. I thought it was good uh, writing. I know that they bait and switch people all the time with the cliffhangers, and that could be really frustrating with Lost because by the time they answer some things, you kind of forgot what the cliffhanger was. There's a little bit but too much space. You have to remember, it was also a it was it was a TV show, so you had to build a reputation that brought people back to watch. Yeah, because this was before binge watching was a thing. Like the mm-hmm. most binge watching you could do was buying the previous season of Lost on DVD and then watching it all. Like that was yep. the our definition of binge watching. So you had to create a show that was captivating enough that would bring someone back the next week to watch it so mm-hmm. i mean i get the cliffhangers i really do because that was yeah that's tv's way before the advent of netflix that was tv's way of getting you to come back yeah and for and for people who you know don't know much about lost um it is a story about people who f- who were on an airplane flight 851 and they crash on this island and no one knows where they are. Like they can't be found. They can't communicate off the island. They're on this very mysterious island. And it's basically the story about what happens to these people while they're on the island. They eventually get off the island. They, um, you know, have to struggle through some things. And, and it's a really, it's a really well done show. Yeah. And they, they just have really good actors for i mean for television the acting at the time was just bar none yeah and even and, the cgi at, yeah in it used in it was really ahead of its time yeah yeah so if you were watching lost in its in its current state i mean there were just and, and there are things that happen in the show like i remember season three um being like nearly brought to tears at the end of that season like oh my mm. gosh like um yeah a, a main focal character that everybody loves is basically ends up dying um which i, I won't say who it is because i think lost is kind of one of those shows where if you spoil too much of it yeah uh, it does kind of ruin it it's but, so good it's so good and but i remember zach and I, it's but, how many episodes did we watch that one time we just kind of yeah i was gonna lost mention yeah i remember sitting watching it at at your house because we were going because i hadn't seen all of lost that like up to the point that you had seen. So you were basically just rewatching it and I was watching it all for the first time. And we just, I mean, we went through so many episodes, like just one after the next. Cause it's just so you can't put it down. Like you just, it's like a good book. I mean, it's just, you gotta, you gotta keep figuring out not only what's kind of happening on the Island cause the Island has its own mysteries, but Mm -hmm. like the people is what really draws you in. You get so invested with these people and, yeah. Like it's this was before Twilight where it was like Team Edward, Team like Jake. It was like Team like Sawyer and Team like like everyone had their own like person they were rooting for. And but you had no idea what was gonna yeah. happen to him. You're just like, I hope they turn out good. Yeah. And the thing that Lost did too was what and I think this is where you know, I just read an article about this the other day where the binge watching culture of television, the entire season of Netflix being dropped at one time for example, 
when things are done episodically, what it allows to happen is it allows people to have the conversations like episode to episode, come up with your fan theories, what's going to happen next. And, you know, we live in a time where on Netflix, for example, they drop a whole season at a time, right? So that weekly conversation, that like building up of of television or series or episodic things isn't quite the same with those types of shows. Yeah. Which is why I still think we have like network week to week stuff, not only for the advertising, but for the reality, like I think people just like to engage in stories in chunks and bits and pieces and have those discussions of like, this is what I think is yeah. going to happen next. This is who I think is good. This is who I think is bad. And it built and a lost- community. That's the thing. Yeah. Like it builds a community of, of, of fans and people who want to talk about something they like, no matter how big or small that following is. Yeah. And I think lost offered itself to be that just yeah. so well. Yeah. So entirely well. Yeah. So and that's why I love it. Yeah, it's a it's great. And JJ Abrams, you know, he's the one that directed the first episode, but I he was the one that came up with the concept, I believe. Yeah, I think he came up with the concept, directed the pilot and then maybe episode 2. The same JJ Abrams who was tasked with reamping revamping the uh Star Wars. That's true. Saga. That's true. So kind of had a a, t- a book end there. Yeah, we kind of went to we kind of like ended the last half hour of the episode with uh, like J.J. Abrams. Yeah, his stuff. legacy, the J.J. Abrams podcast. Uh, speaking of J.J., this is this is a total aside. Zach, you got me to go to a movie that I had not heard of. It was a J.J. Abrams film. And oh, I, day, know I think it's one of my. This is one of my. Fi- not no no. You're thinking of the wrong one. Oh, okay. Um, I'm thinking of the one I actually liked. Uh, but a a movie I I didn't have really any expectations for and now I think is one of the most charming movies I've ever seen Uh, Super 8 yeah Super 8 man that's that's a great film it is a good film that was like that was E.T. meets like I don't know like it it was what what, what, E.T. meets like uh, like the Goonies it's just so it's so good. Mm-hmm. It's charming. It's about kids. I mean, you can tell that, like, um, oh man, his name's blanking now. Um, guy who directed E.T. Jeez, um, Steven Spielberg. He, Spielberg. You can tell that he had like an influence on J.J. Abrams for that movie. Oh yeah, because he's. I mean, it's just kind of a a fun, whimsical movie. Um, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it's it's it. That's that's awesome, man. Yeah, I love I love J.J. Abrams. Cloverfield, I did not like. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wait, he's the one that directed Cloverfield? I think so, man. Oh, gosh. Yeah, sorry about that. I think not so. Hold I on. make you watch Cloverfield, but I made you go watch it with me in a movie theater. In a movie theater where I felt just <laughs> on the verge of motion sickness. I think everyone. Oh, jeez. I think everyone. Oh, wait. No, no, no. Hold on. Hold on here. I don't think Abrams... Is uh, yeah, Abrams was a producer of Cloverfield. Okay. He wasn't the director. Okay, he just threw money. Okay, Matt Reeves was the director. But oh man, dude, when you wanted to go see Cloverfield, I had heard some things, and I was like, oh, dude, I don't know, man. I heard it's like got the shaky cam. You're like, no, 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 we're going. It's we're awesome. going. It's got <laughs> aliens. It's horror. It's sweet. <laughs> Dude, it was not very good. No. I don't know how that movie even got a sequel. I don't know. Yeah, that was a rough one. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, okay, but the sequel, 
the Cloverfield Lane. That was that was good. Have you seen it? No. Oh, oh, you should watch it. It's good. Okay. It's good. It's not anything like what I made you watch in that movie theater. Okay. It's like okay. It's actually a film like normal movie. It's there's it's not found footage, so you won't hopefully throw up while watching it. All right. All right. Well, hey, we've been going for about an hour and a half, and I think this is good for us to sign off at this point. Um, so I will just say, uh, as a final closing thought, just thanks for listening to this first episode. It was an hour and a half long. You guys who've made it to this point, thank you so much. Please come back. We will have these up on a weekly basis. And uh, just so thankful for you guys to listen to this first episode, and we hope you guys enjoy what is to come. Zach, any final closing words? Yeah, I, th- I appreciate you guys that have, have stuck with us through this. Um, I hope you have both learned maybe some stuff about stories and also just kind of laughed along and maybe even remembered your own your own um, stories along with the ones that we were telling um, with these, these different uh, movies and books and video games that we were talking about. Um, so I hope you guys come back. Um, I had a lot of fun talking about this stuff. Um, I'm sure Cody did too. So, um, yeah, definitely looking forward to, to doing more of these. All right. Well, thank you all for listening and we'll be in touch next time. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Parallel Quest. Please be sure to subscribe to this wherever you're listening to podcasts. A special thanks to Jake Butler for supplying us with our intro and outro music. Head over to steellakestudio.com, find out what we're all about, and we'll see you next time on Parallel Quest.